As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. Thus, God, we pray that you would forgive us for neglecting your word, for living as we think we ought, for following the traditions of men, for allowing our lives to be swayed by those who do not know your word. And so we pray now that by your spirit you would attend this word read and preached, seal it, God, to our minds and hearts. Enlighten us where we've been careless in our thoughts and in our lives. Reclaim all who have wandered from your truth. Establish and strengthen all who are weak. Defend us against every enemy of our souls. Bring comfort and faith to all who doubt. Witness to our hearts that Christ is with us and in us, that we are children of God. Equip us, we pray, for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to the Gospel of John and chapter 14. John chapter 14, I want to read, as I read last Sunday, verses 15 to 31. So John chapter 14, please. Hear the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let us go from from here. I want, God will help me, to take up this morning Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions or brings the Holy Spirit into the conversation because He's going to leave them. He's going to be crucified. It's the next day. 
on that Sunday rise, but then 40 days hence, he's going to ascend. And so he's going to leave them in that sense. And so the question is, who will take up the void, if you will, that Jesus leaves? He doesn't want to leave them, as he says, as orphans. And so he speaks to them of this one who will come, this coming Holy Spirit. And he does, you'll notice, in a couple of places in the passage I read, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He speaks of the Holy Spirit again in verse 26 of chapter 15. On the same evening, just moments after these statements I've read. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. And then he speaks even more extensively of him in chapter 16. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Then he goes on to say, I've said many things to you, but you cannot bear them now. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so this night, Jesus has a great intention to share with his disciples about many things, some things he can't really share with them at that point in time. But he does speak to them about this coming of the Holy Spirit, this helper, as he puts it, at least in my translation, counselor in others, comforter in others, uh, intercessor perhaps, advocate always to translate that, that notion, that word of helper. But, but he says, this one's going to come and he's going to be with you. And, and, and so he lays that out. Uh, lays that out for them. Now, in order for us to take this up, I have three questions I want to ask and hopefully at least give some measure of answer to today, along with two caveats as we begin. All right? Three questions. One, who is this Holy Spirit? Second question, what does he do? Third question, how do we avail ourselves of his ministry? How do we experience his ministry, the blessedness of his work in our lives. Those three questions. Now, before I get there, let me just say this first. That there is much in the scripture about the Holy Spirit. Much more than just in these passages. I think that these passages are foundational to our understanding of everything about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, foundational. But we can't say everything that could possibly be said, even with the two hours that I have this morning with you. So I don't know if you're listening. 
Some of you are now nervous, thinking he would really do that. No. So this won't be exhaustive, but I hope foundational. Secondly, we do realize there is much teaching about the Holy Spirit, especially in these days, and there is some controversy about that, some differences among Christians. I understand that. I've been a part of these discussions for a long, long time uh, in various circles with various ones. So I know that it would grieve, it seems to me, and does grieve the Holy Spirit because one of the works of the Holy Spirit, which we won't get to today, is to unite us. And so when we differ even about Him, I think that's grievous to Him. So we must always be cautious and careful about such disagreements and differences so as not to to grieve him. But I do know that. But again, I simply say that our best hope is to stick to various passages about him and hopefully not say any less than these passages say, nor, I hope, any more. But please know that in my own weakness and frailty that I may not say everything that ought to be said and perhaps more than should. So we trust, if we can trust, the Holy Spirit is and is with us that he will help us even in, even in this. So first question, who is he? Well, by saying it that way, by making the question like that, by saying, who is he? I've given away something. And that is, I've already said to you, I think he's a person. I think the Bible teaches that he is not an it. When we think of the Holy Spirit and speak of the Holy Spirit, we're speaking of a person. That is to say, one who is personal. That is to say, one who isn't impersonal. That the Holy Spirit isn't a force. Holy Spirit isn't a power. But the Holy Spirit isn't an influence. Now he's forceful and powerful and influences. But all those are impersonal. He is a person. By that I mean he has the characteristics of a person. That is, he relates. He relates to father and son, person to person, like a person relates. He relates to us as a person relates. He, he has a will that is a purpose In his own mind, he thinks, he speaks, he acts, he guides, he teaches, he can be blasphemed, he can be lied to, he can be outraged. All of these are biblical expressions. He can be grieved. He can even be, as Stephen speaks to those of Israel in Acts in chapter 7, he can even be resisted. He says, you've resisted the Holy Spirit all your lives. So he can be resisted. He isn't just this impersonal force, you see. So when we speak of the Holy Spirit, it isn't that we're trying to tap into it, this power, this influence. It isn't that we're trying to be connected to it as cord would be in an electrical socket. It isn't that we're to be infused by this power, this influence, and so forth, as one would a blood transfusion. 
It's that we're to know him. As he knows us. You see, to relate to him as person to person. And thus, you see, there aren't buttons to push in order to get more of him. There's a person to know. And it isn't that our goal in this is to get more power. The goal in this is to know God. And so you see, he comes to us. He resides in us. He dwells in us. He relates to us as a person to a person. That's how his power comes. It comes through relationship with God. That's how the influence comes. That's how the transformation comes. By his dwelling in in our lives. That's this Holy Spirit. And indeed, he's a divine person. Now, when we say that, you see, we're entering into this dizzying doctrine of the Trinity. And I say it that way because it makes our heads and heart spin when we think of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've arranged our whole service today, as you can tell, I trust, around Trinitarian God. We began by singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In this hymn that I used, baptized into your name most holy, it's all about Father, Son, and And Holy Spirit, baptized into your name most holy, O Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And and then we delineate these persons, if you will, of the Trinity. My loving Father, you've taken me to be your child and heir. My faithful Savior, Jesus, you see. You've given me your righteous, holy life to share. The Holy Spirit, a comfort, we'll see in a minute, that may not be the best translation. A comfort guide and a help, you see, to me. So we see that, that, that God is... Three persons, one God, three persons, not three gods, not one God in three different forms wearing three different hats, but on the one hand, one, identical, on the other hand, three, that is to say, distinct. It's common language in in, in the scripture. Uh, we find the baptismal formula. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a great benediction. I don't know why I don't use it. I was asking myself that this morning. In Second Corinthians, in chapter 13, verse 14, where Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, parenthesis, the Father, and the fellowship, or in the old language, the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you now. And forevermore. That's sort of like a New Testament equivalent of the, of the blessing that, that Aaron was given by God to give to the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious upon you and give you peace. That, that, that sense that may God be with you. And so at the very end of Second Corinthians, Paul's in essence saying, may God be with you. But to say that, he says, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit, you see. This Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to talk about him in this sense of of Trinity. In fact, Jesus even suggests this as he's laying out this Holy Spirit coming. He says, uh, I'll give you, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. In other words, uh, one like 
already is with you. And the one who's already with them, this other helper, is Jesus himself. In fact, this morning in our um, passage that I read to give us assurance that we are indeed forgiven comes out of, uh, of, of 1 John, I guess it is in prison in there, 1 John in chapter um, 2, where John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have, here it is, an advocate with the Father or the helper. The same Greek word. It, 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 Jesus is, is the first, and now he's saying, I'm going to send to you another one, in, in the sense, another one just like me. I've been your helper. I've been your advocate. I've been your intercessor. I've been your counselor. I've been your comfort. I've been your help while I've been with you. But now I'm leaving. So I'm going to send another. And this other one is like me. Uh, there's a couple of, and I don't mean to act like I know what I'm talking about here, but there's a couple of Greek words that can be used for another. One can be used as another just like this one, or you could use an expression that says another one that's different. The word that Jesus uses here, or John puts in his lips as he translates probably, is that it's another one just like the other. So Jesus is saying, I'm the first helper. I'm going to send another one just like me. So when he's here, you're going to think in some sense that I'm here. This might help. There are times when I buy a book. Now, there are many times, I suppose, when I do that. But when I buy a book, and sometimes I buy a book, and I, before I even read it, I think, I need to give this to so-and-so. They, they'll love this book. And so I give the book away even before I read it. So then what I have to do is I got to go to Signs of Life and I have to say, I want another book. Now, what do I mean? I mean, I want another book just like the one I gave away. So in a sense, it doesn't matter which book I have, the one I gave away or the one I just got. They're the same, but they're not. Because there's two of them. But they look the same. They read the same. Two in one, at least. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send one who's really just like me, this very one who is the other. And so it's fascinating, you see. Because on the one hand, in chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus says, I'm going away. In verse 16, he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And then, in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus is saying, this is the deal. I'm leaving and I'm sending the Holy Spirit and I'm coming. (laughs) Now, what is all that? Well, Jesus is not so identical to the Holy Spirit that he's saying, I'm really not going Or if I go, I'm still coming back in the Holy Spirit. He's not so identical that he's saying that. There's still a distinction. He's still going and he's still ruling and reigning in glory and still sending the Holy Spirit. So he's not so identical that he's saying, I really am not really going. I'm really staying or coming back and won't be there. On the other hand, he's not saying that I'm going 
but you'll never know me. He's not that distinct. But he says, listen, I'm going, but I'll send the Spirit. And I'm coming, that is, you'll know me in all of this. One God. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is God, if you will, with us. Now you may say, why is it that we really haven't heard much of the Holy Spirit until John chapter 14? I mean, I've been reading since Genesis, and I get little, little snippets of spirit here and there through the Old Testament, but, but I don't really get much. And then all of a sudden, I get all this barrage, if you will, of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, so much on this night. Why is that the case? Well, the answer is because God works with us on a need-to-know basis and a need-to-understand basis and a need-to-know-what-he's-doing basis. By that, I mean this. We didn't know much about the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, as we would say, until Jesus came. That doesn't mean he didn't exist before. He's eternal. He was at creation. He's the eternal Son of God. And, and, and he's in shadows in the Old Testament. We see glimpses of him, if you will, in sacrifice, in priesthood, in prophet, in king, in, in temple, in all of these places, you see. But he becomes explicitly known to us at the incarnation because it's then that he comes to accomplish redemption. It's then that we can really see him and see it, you see. Well, the same is true with the Holy Spirit. He's eternal. He was at creation. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He was at work in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, in, in, in a way similar to even he is now. That is to say that no one could ever believe without a work of the Spirit to overcome their sin and, and, and rebellion and, and bring them into the truth and conversion and real saving faith, you see. And we have some at work gifting various ones, whether they be those who worked in the temple, whether they be prophets or priests or kings or whatever. We, we saw them at work then, but, but it wasn't explicit. But, but now, you see, we need to see this. We need to know. Because Jesus is coming, he's going, and he says, well, what's going to happen to us? Well, I'm going to send another one who's going to be with you like me, and he'll take care of you as I did. And, and so, so you can... You can rest assured, if you will. So now we really do need to know. Prior to the coming of, 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 of Jesus, uh, we didn't need to know all of it, but he came, then we do. And now he leaves and the Spirit comes, you see. And now there's so much more that we're to understand of him. So who is he? He's a divine person. Call him the third person of the Holy Trinity. What's he do? Well, Jesus gives us a couple of titles that are helpful here, I think. The first is in verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. Now, if, in various translations, we'll translate this word 
differently. And, and when we see that, if you line up various English translations of the Bible and you find a particular word being translated differently, you realize what, there's, what, what, we, re, what we realize is that that's a difficult word to translate into one good English word. And so we find the word helper, find the word counselor, we find the word comforter. It's uh, translated in 1 John chapter 2, as I did of Jesus, as advocate. It can be translated other places as intercessor, you see. And some, in some various sort of more technical translations, just transliterate the Greek word of parakletos or parakletos and, 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 uh, because they don't really know what word to use. So we transliterate, take it from the text and say, well, I want you to learn what this word means uh, as opposed to give you little English Snippets. All of those English words, of course, work, but not utterly, completely. This word parakletos comes from another word parakleo, which para means come alongside of. For instance, if we talk about a parachurch ministry, we're talking about a ministry that comes alongside the church, if you will, to help in some sense. Or, or a paralegal, a person who comes alongside the lawyer to help in that um, in that, or if, uh, you can have in a classroom of students a para professional, someone who comes alongside the teacher to help. That sense, kaleo means to call. And so, what we talk about is this one Jesus is saying, who's like me, who's called to come alongside you, and he's called to come alongside to help you. Yes, to help you. Yes, as a comforter. Yes, if you go back about 150 years. When we hear comforter, we think of comfy. <laughs> we think of something we pull over when we're cold at night on our beds to keep us warm and snug and all of that. And there's something to that. Or we think of someone who will soothe our pain, someone who will come and, and bring comfort at a point in time. That's true in a sense. But the old sense of the word comfort means come with for strength, to come with strength, to fortify. And so this one that Jesus speaks of is one who's coming to fortify, to give us strength, you see. And Jesus says, while I was with you, I was that for you. I was your helper. I gave you strength, you see. I kept you. I protected you. And now I'm going away. Don't worry. I'm going to send one who's so much like me that you won't even miss me. He's so much like me that you'll go, oh, yes, I know this strength I know this fortification. I know this protection, you see. It's just like Jesus gave us. I'm going to announce this Holy Spirit, this one who's to come. Counselor. Not like a camp counselor who just watches over you and makes sure you get to bed on time and all of that. And, and not a, uh, like a marriage counselor that comes and gives you advice about how to do it. It's some of that. But counselor really in the legal sense. If you have that word in your translation, it's counselor in the legal sense. Someone who's going to come and speak on your behalf. Someone who's going to defend you, if you will. Someone like an advocate, as we most think of Jesus in First John chapter 2 there that I read a little while ago, as an advocate who stands on your, on, on your, in your place to, to, to speak to the judge on your behalf so that you'll be freed, so that, so that, so that, so that you'll be out of danger, if you will. That kind of advocate, someone coming in that, in that regard. So Jesus is saying, this is the one who is coming. So this is what, what he'll do. He'll be your advocate. He'll protect you. He'll keep you. He'll strengthen you. All of that. Jesus said, he'll be for you what I've been for you. 
And we know how Jesus is our advocate in glory. There he is as our, our intercessor. He's the, he's the one who is, as, as John writes, he's our advocate. He's Jesus Christ the righteous. What happens? Well, when, 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 when someone comes or something comes to, uh, as an enemy against us, Jesus is our, Jesus is our defense, you see. And, and, and his, his primary defense of us is contained in his wounds. When the evil one accuses us, Jesus goes to the Father and he says, no, 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 they're mine. They're forgiven. I've paid. Oh, that's the comfort. That's the strength. That's the help from Jesus. And he says, now when the Spirit comes, he'll do that for you. He also mentions that he's the Spirit of truth. Again, no surprise if he's going to be like Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm dependable. You can trust me. I know all that is true. Everything that I say is really true, so you can really trust me. And so he's the spirit, you see, of truth. Now notice something. Verse 26 in chapter 14. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now it's very important for us to know who the you is in that sentence. The you in that sentence, first and foremost, foremost, is not you and me. It is those guys who are with him on that night. That's the you. He's expressing, I'm... Because you see, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Well, that only applies to them. Jesus has never said in the way he said to them, things to me. But he did to them. They walked all around with him. He taught all the time. He says, well, I'm going to send this helper. One of the things he's going to do is he's going to call to your mind, so you get it right, so you remember, all that that Jesus has said to you. And then over in chapter 16 and verse 13, or 12, he says, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. See what Jesus is saying here. I can't tell you everything right now. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll tell this to you. He'll bring this to you. He'll lead you into all truth so that you can take this truth and spread it. Now, what does that tell us? Well, what we realize now is what we have there is the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit bringing to mind all that Jesus said to them. Matthew and John were there. Others who were there would inform Mark and Luke. And so we have... The Gospels, you see. And so the way that Jesus speaks to us, the way that the Holy Spirit brings this word of Jesus to us, is by way of this. So we shouldn't be expecting him to say directly to us anything by way of his Spirit. It's here, you see. Now, and I don't have time for this, this may be next week, there is something 
It, the Spirit does illuminate this to us, give us eyes to see it and all of that. That's something else. But it's here, you see. And so we speak of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Well, it's, he speaks to us the things that Jesus would say. And so he did. He brought it to them then to bring to us. That's why we trust it. That's why we depend upon this, this word, you see. He brings it, if you will, uh, to, uh, to us. Thus, Peter, who was there, would, 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 write, would write this. Second Peter in chapter 1. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever pro- uh, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter would know that firsthand. How he did all that, I cannot tell you. I wasn't there. Peter would have a sense of it because he wrote some of it. John would have a sense of it because he wrote some of it, you say? Paul would have a sense of it because he is an apostle brought into all of that by the Holy Spirit. He would have a sense of it. I don't, particularly. But they did. It happened to them. Thus, Paul could write of Scripture as he as he does in uh, find it here in this second yeah, second Timothy three that all scripture is God breathed that whole breathe thing that's a spirit word God breathed and it's profitable for teaching for reproof correction training in righteousness, all that. So all scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. And so that's this, this word to us. Now, how then do we enter into, how do we experience this work of the Holy Spirit, you see? Well, first, we must really know his word. See, Jesus says to us that he abides in us and his word abides, if, if we abide in him and his word abides in us. You see, it's that sense of his word in us. Do we realize that, that when the scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit filling us and also then speaks of the word of Christ dwelling in us, the effects are the same. For instance, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 all right, and do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, all right? So he's saying this is what it means to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what's the effect of that? What was the end result of that? What would you expect after having been filled by the Holy Spirit? He puts it like this. He says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, he says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you recognize who God is and you'll worship him. You'll praise him. And you'll speak to one another about him. And you'll encourage one another about him. And and all of that. And you'll submit to each other in humility because no one is greater than the other. And and so that's what you'll do. That's your life. Then turn to Colossians and chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you see, Ephesians 5, he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what will happen. Now he's saying, the word of Christ 
dwells in you richly, he's going to say, this is what's going to happen. Now we remember, if we make the connection, the Holy Spirit, right, dwells within us. Jesus dwells within us. The Holy Spirit brings to us the words of Jesus. How? By way of the scripture, by way of of calling to remembrance to these disciples all that Jesus had said by leading them into all truth so they could write it all down so we would have it. So he says, listen, the Spirit lives within you. This is what will happen. Now he's saying, if my word lives within you, listen what will happen. That the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Same effect same thing how does how do we experience the ministry of the holy spirit in us but at least like this by knowing his word because you see then it produces in us that which is true of jesus we know him we declare him we live that out You see, when the Holy Spirit comes to us, he glorifies, chapter 16 of John, Jesus. He shows him to us. I've used this illustration before. It's the best one I've ever heard in my life. It comes out of a book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer. But it's fascinating to me on a number of levels because Packer writes that he was walking to a church where he was preaching that evening and he was going to preach on the subject of the Holy Spirit and he was looking for an illustration. (laughs) That's the preacher's dilemma. Always looking for an illustration, even as you approach the doors. Unlike me, he got one. And, um, And so as he was coming up to this church, old church, and it, uh, he couldn't really see it. He was thinking because it was dark. But when he approached it, he realized he could see it. He could see the beauty of this old church. And it was night. And he wondered how. And then he realized hidden in the bushes were floodlights. And the job of the floodlight isn't to be seen. It's to be hidden in the bushes. But it's to reveal. It's to cast a light on something that you otherwise wouldn't see. And that, you see, is, as Packer puts it, the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. What he does, you see, is by giving to us the word of Jesus to enable us to see him. And sometimes it's been said critically of the church, critically of various churches, that that the Holy Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity. And I think he would say, no, no, not neglected. I just don't want to be seen. I, I want you to see Jesus. So whenever you're seeing Jesus, whenever you're understanding about him, whenever you're, you're um, contemplating him, whenever you're thinking about his words, then I'm at work, you see. So you can say thanks to me. Appreciate it and all that. You worship me, yes. But the way that you do that, you see, is that you concentrate your attention on the one whom I'm showing you, Jesus. That's his work in us. And how 
are we conscious of the presence of Jesus in us? May I say this? It isn't because we feel him. It's because he speaks to us. And the way that he speaks to us is by this, which is his word. So how do we experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit? (laughs) We come here, you see, to really know his word. You think, I don't experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in me and all that entails. Could be, this is the deficiency. You need to know his word. And not only that, there's a thread. And I have to tell you, after decades of thinking about this, living this, I'm still just, I think, scratching the surface to understand. But there's a thread in all of this that we mustn't miss. There's an unbreakable tie in this whole passage between our loving Jesus, our obeying Jesus, his commands, his word, our receiving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit dwelling within us, Jesus dwelling within us, the Father dwelling within us. By unbreakable, I mean, you can't take any out of that. If you don't love him, Jesus, you'll never know, experience the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't obey him, you'll never really know it. If your heart isn't to obey him, you'll never really know it, you see. If you don't know his word, you won't hear him speak. You won't know what to obey. You won't know how to live. You won't know his dwelling in you. You see, it's all tied. How do we experience this? We know his word. You see, we come to it and we we bow ourselves before it, if you will, and we we read and and when we do, we hear the Lord speaking to us by the Holy Spirit from this word. And, and it's then you see that he produces in us love for him. He produces in us desire to obey. Strengthens us to obey, and, and thus we know his dwelling in his presence in our lives. Look at this, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus says, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if you love me, and you keep my commandments, which implied you know them, then I will love you. My Father will love you. And I will show myself to you. Now the question is, if by the Holy Spirit we're seeing Jesus, what would we see? This. See, we'd see the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we would know what it means. And it would mean everything to us. Because you see, here in this cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we see is the love of God for us. What we see is the justice of God. So that when Jesus pleads our case, 
He's not simply pleading mercy. He's pleading justice. See, when Jesus pleads our case with the Lord, you know, you know what he does. He, 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 he says, I've already paid for that. Justice has been done. It is finished. Well, I've forgiven you, see. And so we see the very love of God. We see reconciliation with God through Jesus when we see him. We see the fact that he is for us and not against us. And so you see what happens in our lives when enemies come against us, our very souls, we, our own hearts, come against us. First John chapter 3 says, if your hearts do not condemn you, you have confidence before the Father. How do our hearts condemn us? Well, our hearts say things like, whew, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you thought that. Uh, do you really think that God's not going to cast you out from his presence because of that? How do you think that you belong to him. Surely you're not one of his. And then you see the way the Holy Spirit works in us is that he becomes our advocate. He becomes our defender. And how does he do that? By showing us Jesus. By bringing the very word of Jesus to us. And he says, no, 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 no. If God is for us, who could be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What can really separate us from the love of God? And here's the operative phrase, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the love of God that's in Christ Jesus is that love of God which paid for our sins. And he says, if if that's the love of God for you, what can separate us from God? Nothing, not heights, nor depth nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything in all creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, when that happens, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. Takes the word that dwells within us and he brings it to mind and places it before us. It was that night that Jesus was betrayed that he would show himself to them. He took bread, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. The same way he took the cup and after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, this, this word would come, it would be written by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, by these men, given to us, we would have it. It would be our help, our comfort, our strength, our defense. Because it would show us Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for me, for us, I pray that we would make all of this harder than it is. Nor would we diminish its power and transforming nature. But that we would know the work of the Holy Spirit in us. 
by knowing the word of Jesus, by loving him, by seeing him. So Father, on this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, come. May we know the very presence of Jesus with us. May we know that if we believe in him, that we belong to him. May we know that we love him, we will obey him. And that he will show himself to us. Take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way, God, that your spirit can use it to show us Jesus. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.